Alrighty, so as I said earlier, we're continuing our series on miracles. And this morning, we will be discussing the miracle of the manna in the quail that is found in Exodus 16. And to set us up this morning, the book of Exodus is found in the Old Testament. And the book of Exodus is God teaching his people that he would provide for his people, and that God delivered his people from Egypt, right? He delivered his people from slavery, right? You remember the 10 plagues, the VBS song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. There we go. (laughs) Last week, Pastor Dominic talked about this, like the miracle of the Red Sea, This week, we're going to go through another story about God providing for his people, found in Exodus 16, 1 through 36, the story of the miracle about how God provided manna and quail for the Israelites. So, right, historical context, there's one story before the story, right, the one that we talked about yesterday. It's a story, briefly, it's a story of where Moses... Uh, directed, or God directed Moses to have Moses throw the log into the water, and then the water became fitting for the people to drink. So there's a lot of text today. So the, the text will not be on the screen, so I encourage everyone to open up their own Bibles and open it to Exodus 16. And we will start off with verses 1 through 3. Starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So what I want to do is I want to open with a story about a missions trip that I went on in high school. It was a mission trip in youth group. We went to West Virginia during my sophomore year of high school. So we went to McDowell County, West Virginia, which is one of the poorest counties in the United States. It was a life-impacting trip for me, and it helped me realize that my faith in Jesus was more than just a Sunday morning thing, but it was a whole life transformation. It was also impactful for a lot of other people on the trip as well. So at the end of the trip, the last two days, it was probably the most grumbling and complaining that I have ever heard. This was at the end of a seven-day-long missions trip. But not, not everyone, but most people were complaining about the most obnoxious things. These are some of the complaints. There's not enough free time on the schedule. There's nothing to do. I don't like the food. The cabins smell. The cabins are too hot. I don't have enough space. This person said this thing. This person said that thing. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. 
Does that sound accurate at the end of a mission trip? <laughs> but I could just tell that the leaders were done with all of the complaining because they were, they were just in their beds and just staring at the bunks above them and probably counting down the hours to the end of the trip. I remember thinking, wow, all these students won't stop complaining after they just had this life-impacting event happen to them, right? Some turned their lives to Jesus for the first time, and we were serving and helping do demo work in the houses. We helped host vacation Bible schools for the kids in the area and visited with local families in need. And then a few days later, it just seemed like a completely different group of people. Everyone was grumbling at the smallest thing, and everyone was just arguing about everything. Similarly, a thousand years ago, looking at the story in Exodus, God's people have just been delivered from the hands of the Egyptians, just miraculously parted the enormous Red Sea. He miraculously provided them with clean drinking water. Then, what was the whole community's response just a month after the parting of the Red Sea? If only we had died by the hands of the... By, what was it? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Disoriented is probably how they were at that time as well. But there, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. All right. Reading this or yelling this, it seems like just a little extreme of a response from the Israelites. Taking into consideration all the miracles that God had just done for them. Also, the Israelites had plundered the Egyptians when they had left Egypt, as we see in chapter 12, verse 36. And scholars believe that they had livestock and food with them because this is just a month after crossing the Red Sea. This was not just a couple of people raising a complaint. This was the entire community. They are making it seem like Egypt was the good old days and that they put on their rose-colored glasses to the past. They made it seem like that they had it made in the shade with lemonade back in Egypt. But when we look just a, f just a few chapters before this, we see that there's a reason why they left Egypt. They were an enslaved population to the Egyptians. They were living in harsh conditions out of fear that the Israelites would overtake the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were killing the Israelites' infant boys. And this is all out of fear that the Israelites would overtake the Egyptians. So, when the Israelites respond with this massive grumble towards Moses and Aaron, and then it's ultimately towards God, about how they had pots of meat and ate all the food they wanted, and that they would rather die in Egypt. So, clearly, the Israelites have the memory of a goldfish, and have totally forgotten about God's faithfulness to them. They forgot about all the miracles that God had performed. They forgot all the ways that he had provided for them in the past. 
Remember, it is not too distant of a past that we are talking about here. The Red Sea miracle is just a month before this. And unfortunately, the same condition that the Israelites have, the forgetfulness of God's faithfulness and the tendency to grumble and complain, is in us as well. The illustration of the grumbling and complaining during the mission trip that I was on is only one example, but I've grown up in church and have been heavily involved within church ministries over the past 20-something years. And through my experience within churches, as a congregant, as a volunteer, intern, pastor, we can be just like the Israelites in their responses to Moses and Aaron. This is a human condition that we deal with. And I'm pretty sure if I asked everyone here who has grumbled and complained about something in their life within the past week, and I asked everyone to raise their hand about that, don't worry, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That almost every hand in this room would be raised. At the same time, the Bible is filled with verses that speak of the importance of how important it is to not complain and grumble. These verses can be found in the Old and in the New Testament. So it shows how even the apostles who walked with Jesus complained. I can read off Bible verses that say not to complain or grumble, but I think most people realize that grumbling and complaining is not a beneficial thing to do. Complaining and grumbling is just a symptom of a larger problem, which is a lack of being content in all circumstances. This is something that we learn about in Philippians 4.11, that being content is something that is learned, and it's not something that is just immediately acquired when you start following Jesus. But it is something that is worked on through the process of sanctification, growing closer to Jesus, and learning to be content in Jesus. In the work that he did for us on the cross and through his resurrection. This is a simple thing that my wife, Allison, and I ask each other on a regular basis. Instead of asking, how are you feeling? Are you happy? I ask her, are you content? And she does the same thing for me as well. Right? And the right answer to this question, according to Philippians, is Yes, I'm content through all circumstances, but of course, we don't always respond in those ways. It's just a helpful exercise for the both of us, just to help recognize where our worth comes from and where our contentness comes from, because our contentment comes from the Lord. It comes through Jesus, and it helps us when we're tempted to grumble or complain or cease to be thankful in certain situations. So we continue on with the story in verse 4. Now, remember, this is the part where the Israelites had just complained, starting in verse 4. So 4 through 31, so this is a lot of text. We got it. Then the Lord said to Moses, "I I will rain down bread from heaven for you, The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron sent to all the Israelites, 
In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the entire camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given to, to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need, take an omar for each person, and have in your tent. You have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. So what I think is the amazing part of this story 
is God's gracious response to the people of Israel. These people complain and grumble against God, and God graciously responds to them and provides them with manna in the morning and quail in the evening. And then what what is God's gracious response to them? He literally gives them their daily bread. I'm sure it was amazing to see the way that everything happened, right? You wake up in the morning and the dew evaporates. You see thin flakes like frost covering the ground. When the Israelites first saw this, they had to ask Moses what it was. And then he informed them that it was bread for them to eat because they had clearly never seen manna before this. And then the evening came and quail covered the camp. You know what's interesting is that I googled it. Quail is actually more nutritious than chicken. I didn't know that. That's that's definitely something I learned. But quail would have been a delicacy in Egypt. With them being slaves in Egypt, it would most likely mean that the Israelites would not have had access to eat in Egypt. All this is pointing to the fact that God is not only gracious to his people, but that he's generous to us. He truly knows how to provide for his people, and it brings him joy to do so. Even though the people of Israel were grumbling and complaining, and saying that Egypt was the better provider, did not change God's character in the fact that God is the true provider. The Lord is testing the faith of the Israelites to trust in him as their provider by issuing certain stipulations regarding the, the collection of the manna. They're, they should gather as much as they need, collect an omer, which is for, collect an omer for each person in their tent, which is roughly around three pounds for each person. They were to gather what they needed for that day and not anymore, and not store any food till the next morning. All of the Israelites gathered as much as they needed, but as it said in the text, some paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until the morning, and found that it was full of maggots and began to smell, and Moses was angry with them. So I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that, that smell of maggots and that stuff, but it is absolutely disgusting. I'm sure after the first night, those that hoarded the manna learned their lesson and did not do it again. The exception was the day before the Sabbath that they were to gather twice the amount that they were normally to gather. Do all the work the day before the Sabbath, and then they were to rest on the Sabbath and not to collect anything on the Sabbath. They were to store that food overnight into the Sabbath, and it would not stink or get maggots on it. Of course, some of the people ignored this instruction and decided to go out anyway and search for the food on the Sabbath. And this time, it is the Lord that rebukes them for not following the instructions that he had set for them. From these accounts, it is apparent that there are still some people in Israel that do not trust God. Soon after everything that God has done for the Israelites, they still do not trust in him. For us, 
If God tells you to do something, the safest place that you can be is in the center of God's will for you. Trust in God's plan and provision for you. This is proverbial wisdom that you can found that you can find throughout the entire Bible. But for example, it's Proverbs 3, 5, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Verse 32 in the story. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep it for generations to come. Right? It's amazing that it happened for 40 straight years. So this is crazy to think that there isn't. We remember his sacrifice for us. Baptism is also something that God has given us as well. When we are baptized and when we do baptisms, they are important steps as believers. They are reminders for us that when we are baptized, that when we go into the water, we are reminded as Romans 6, 4 states that we are buried with Christ. Our old sinful ways are buried with Christ in his death. And we who are in Christ have died to sin. And then as Romans 6 states that when we are raised from the water, it symbolizes that we are raised with him in the newness of life through Christ's resurrection. This newness of life is found solely through Jesus. Whenever we have people baptized, it is fantastic for so many reasons and is awesome to see people take that next step. But for each believer who's watching it in the service, it reminds us, it reminds me, it reminds every believer that, that we are putting to death our old life. The old way, the old sinful state that we were once in. And then we can celebrate how he has completely changed our lives and how we have new life in Jesus through his resurrection. Stay tuned for information about another baptism service this year. And if there's someone who's interested about being baptized, please let me or one of the pastors know about that. But communion and baptism are two examples that God provides for us to celebrate and to remember his faithfulness to us. Because just like the Israelites, we can so quickly forget where we have come from and forget about the work that God has done in us. Remember life has that remember that the life that God has saved you from and the life that He is calling you to. To close, it can be easy to look at the Israelites and just say, Wow, how forgetful they were. They witnessed and experienced these miracles firsthand and immediately forgot about how God rescued them from their problems. God has provided us with the biggest miracles. Today, 
right now with the eternal life that is found solely through him. Through Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness of the forgiveness of our sins and through the resurrection, conquering of death, that we receive new life in him. That we don't have to do anything but believe in him and we have eternal life through that. How quickly we as a church can forget that and start to grumble about the small things that have no eternal consequence and not truly trust in him as our provider. But let's look to the cross, into the empty tomb, and constantly be reminded of his faithfulness to us today. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us as individuals and to us as a church. Let us never forget of your faithfulness to us. It can be so easy for us to turn our backs on you and forget about what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. We pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to guide us through the times where we lack trust in you. And we pray that you would silence our grumbling hearts and that you would help us to look more like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.